Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. What is up? Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. It's been a couple weeks. We've got a few things to catch up on on this week's episode. We're going to do a little bit of macro and talk about those GDP figures. We're going to touch in on some of the, I was going to say favorite, but I guess they've fallen out of favoritism on the ASX, which is the baby formula stocks like A2 Milk and Bubs. And we're also going to look at an interesting report from Stockspot, which talked about, I guess, some of the broader ETF trends going on in Australia, but also the best performing ETFs and the Inversely, the worst performing ETFs, of course, uh, over the last 12 months. I think it was 12 months going up to March 2021. So that was pretty interesting. So we'll take a look at that and explain uh, what some of that means. But before we do get into any of that juicy stuff, we will just take a look at how the markets performed over the last week. And we'll kick it off with the ASX 200. So it was up 1.6% last week. So pretty good innings there for us. The S&P 500 in the US was up 0.6% and the NASDAQ up 0.48%. So a pretty good week for stocks, broadly speaking, here in Australia and the US. I mean, here in Australia, we're met with a further extended lockdown for people in Melbourne. That didn't seem to dampen the overall market spirits too much. In fact, when I jumped on to have a look at some of the travel stocks just to see how they've done in the light of... This information, oh, in the light of the lockdown from Melbourne, uh, Flight Centre, Webjet, they were actually up this week. Additionally, they're actually up for the month of May, uh, leading into June. Like Flight Centre's up around ten percent, Webjet's up to closer around twenty percent um, compared to where it was about a month ago. So, definitely shaking off any kind of concern that there might have been uh, for Victoria and I guess travel spending domestically with you know one of our biggest states. Uh, locked down and pretty much pretty much unable to get in and out at the moment. Another big performance or a catalyst, I guess, for our market performance this week was likely the GDP results, which came in. And we're going to have a chat about that one first. So we'll kick it off with that macro stuff. And it's Australian GDP, of course. The figures for our March quarter came in. And for that quarter, we we're up or GDP was up 1.8%. Uh, across a year, so across the year prior to the quarter, it's up 1.1%. Uh, very importantly, these figures show that uh, gross domestic product, uh, our GDP growth has gone back to where it was prior to the pandemic. So overall, GDP has recovered to a point where it's actually now slightly above, I guess, where it was right before everything changed in early 2020. And there's there's not many countries in the world that can say that they've recovered in a similar fashion and they're back to, or at least better than where they were prior to COVID-19. Our consumer spending was a big one as well as our private or business spending. I had a look also, household spending itself rose on things like services, which kind of makes a lot of sense because services, the category is things like cafes, restaurants, hotels. You can see how that would have picked up, especially going into the new year, January, February, March. Something interesting that I always like to look at in GDP figures, which 
you don't always associate it with GDP figures, but it's the household savings ratio and it's an indicator on just how much Australians are tucking away into their bank and savings account as opposed to spending it. And it did fall back uh, for the quarter, but it does actually remain quite elevated uh, relative to pre-COVID levels. So in the March quarter, the household savings to income ratio declined from 12.2% to 11.6%. So people are continuing to spend, but but for a little bit of context, the household savings to income ratio was basically in decline for a decade leading up to COVID-19. That's because the the Australian property market had a good time and some periods of good growth, uh, which in turn leads people to, of course, you know, use their savings for deposits and get mortgages or have mortgages and have less to actually put into savings. Uh, but also our interest rates kept getting lower and lower and they are now at record lows. So the prospect of you know, leaving your money in a savings account for some interest back from the bank is become a lot less wise uh, for investors so going back to the, the reason I mentioned this, the context. So December 2019 quarter, so just before 2020, the household savings to income ratio was about 5.4%. It even got as low as about 3.5% if you go back to 2018. Um, but then we move into 2020, COVID hits. About the June quarter last year was a massive jump. The, the income, the savings, sorry, to income ratio was about... Uh, 22%. Uh, and then it slowly, well, not slowly, it dropped back quite sharply, but then it started to slowly uh, come back down over the past eight months as our uh, the economy recovered. People are able to spend on things. Uh, Victoria, especially notably, left quite an extended lockdown period and uh, some domestic travel, you know, started to resume. More recently, you know, travel to New Zealand has resumed. But yeah, so it's currently at 11.6% which suggests there's still a fair bit in the coffers of Australian households that's uh, waiting or ready to be spent. But overall, a GDP result that was actually slightly above the consensus of economists' expectations, uh, very much helped by not just the broader economic rebound uh, in you know, consumer spending uh, from the 2020 lows, but also this, the very high prices of uh, commodities, especially iron ore here that our uh, miners are enjoying. And I imagine depending on how this Melbourne lockdown plays out, it may change what economists think is going to happen over the next quarter or so, you know, because it could be something that goes on for several more weeks or a month or more. Uh, it could also wrap up quickly over the next couple of weeks if cases start to disappear, but uh, no doubt all eyes on that you know, in relation to any kind of revision of the current quarter's GDP figures uh, being that it's such a big state, but we will see that in a few months' time. So GDP out of the way, and if you're not interested in some of these specific baby formula milk stocks, you might not have actually noticed, uh, but our, our well-known stocks on the ASX that, like and I say they've fallen out of favour a little bit, I guess at one point, and I remember sort of being in the industry when this was the case, they were some of the most sought-out companies to invest in and a very clear favourite and a flavour of the month um, if you go back maybe to around the 2017-2016 period. Uh, I'm not invested in any of these myself, but I have watched along and continue to watch on. You know, one of the hardest hit is certainly A2 Milk, so their ticket code is A2M. If you go back to last year in July 2020, 
you know, hindsight can probably tell us that investors may have been a little bit too optimistic on the performance of a company like A2M over the course of COVID period because uh, supply chain issues started to rear their head, but also just that lack of international travel started to be felt by companies like A2M is a really big problem for them because they benefit from not just international tourist travel, but also international student travel uh, because they act as conduits. It's called a a Daigo channel where people can then act uh, as, I guess, middlemen uh, to sell back into Asian markets, especially China, uh, the A2 milk products, as well as other baby formula brands. Um, Bubs is another one. Bellamy's was another one. Well, they still are, I guess, but they, um, they're no longer on the ASX. And if you've not caught up on A2 milk, they're trading at $5.70 per share. Uh, in July 2020, so about almost a year ago, because uh, it's only June at the moment, but they were trading to just under $20 a share. So if you're playing along, that is a fall from grace of about 72% in the share price from that point over approximately a 12-month period. Uh, Bubs, which is another Australian company in the baby formula game, uh, different to A2 Milk, who are, they're centered around the idea of uh, being A1 protein-free, A2, that's A2 Milk. Uh, Bubs is, I guess, their unique selling proposition is um, goat milk formula. So they focus on goat milk products, dairy products, and formula. They've, of course, suffered from some of the same problems that A2M have. Uh, the Bub share price is now sitting at about $0.36 cents per share. If you go back to July 2020, it was around $0.90 cents to almost a dollar a share, so down around 65%. Uh, not as bad, but basically bad. <laughs> um, another one I that I find is kind of less, no, less known as a brand in the same way that A2M is, is um, Sinlate Milk. Uh, they're listed under the ticker code SM1. Uh, it was trading around $6.40 per share a year ago or so. It's now $3.24. Again, not as bad, but bad. <laughs> That's around a 50% drop. Um, but relative to A2M, I mean, in, the, in what Dave's been through from a share price performance point of view, not as bad. But Sinlate, uh, they're actually a dairy processor. So they are tied to the fortunes of companies like A2M because A2M is actually a customer of them. Uh, so when A2 suffer with lack of sales uh, due to border closures and the, the no Daigo channel, like we just said, uh, for them to sell through, this is this in turn reverberates back on uh, supplier companies like Sinlate. Actually, a bit of an antidote recently, but and this is not fundamental research at all, but over the past eight months or so was kind of the first time where I've walked through places that would sell a baby formula and say, say it's something like an A2 milk baby formula and seen that they've been on sale, like they've been, I've even saw it once uh, cut down to half price. And that's interesting because one of the problems A2 milk have had is getting rid of stock uh, because of all those normal sales channels being closed down. They were struggling to actually move inventory. And I remember back when the mania of baby formula was kind of going on, like there'd be always these like current affair stories on people getting into fist fights over baby formula in supermarkets, I would walk down sometimes to look and just see how A2M and Bellamy's and those kind of stuff, how much were available uh, on the shelves as almost like a proxy of how popular these products are because 
uh, places like Woolies might be sold out of them, for example, but uh, that's definitely not the case now. They're quite easy to find. And I, I certainly don't want to draw a line between the struggle that these companies are going through uh, without that access to the Diago channel um, and this next bit of news, which is why I brought them up. Uh, and it's not like some kind of saviour moment for these companies, but about five days ago, interestingly, China announced it would be increasing the allowed number of children for couples from two to three. If you recall, a few years ago, China scrapped what was the famous one-child policy, which had been around for a very long time, uh, and they allowed uh, two children from, uh, I think it was 2015, it could be 2016 or 15, one of them. Uh, Anyway, um, and I guess their data on birth rate decline is concerning enough that they've actually upped that to three now. So upon that news, our stocks here over the past week or so actually jumped. So Bubs is up about 5.88%. That was for the week. A2M was up 2.89%. Sinlate was actually up 14% for the week. Uh, not It doesn't necessarily mean it's because of that, but it seems or it appears to be because of that news about the change in Chinese domestic policy. And I guess it gives investors some confidence that a push for more babies in China might help the fortunes of some of these stocks. And look, China has definitely been the big story of their growth over the years. So I understand why people connect those dots. It happens with other companies too, like uh, Treasury Wine Estate famously has benefited the uh, growth of their products uh, in the Chinese market. Uh, But I think for this one, I'm not sure I can get on board with the logic because I mean, let's say the policy is completely successful uh, for, I guess, from China's point of view in terms of upping that birth rate. It's going to take a couple years at minimum from right now to show any kind of success for these companies. So it's not like something is going to change, you know, <laughs> significantly for them overnight. Uh, secondly, it doesn't change the border closure situation right now and the non-existent Daigo channels that these companies have and I and I guess because of because that's happened, you then turn worry about rising domestic competition um, to our brands or to brands like A2 Milk and what they face in China. So when I say domestic competition, I mean Chinese-based companies entering the baby formula space. So we'll see. I mean, I wouldn't be for me. I expressed a preference over Bubs uh, compared to A2M. I think last year. I still stand by that, but I think where they're both at now, I wouldn't be rushing in to buy the shares of these companies because, yes, at historically very low prices, but I think for also very good reasons because the ongoing risk is quite high and the outlook is very uncertain. Uh, and so they're not bad companies by any means, but if I guess if I'm, if I'm let's pretend... You got the, you've only got $1,000 or you've only got $5,000 and where you're going to put it, there's probably better places to put your money. Uh, we don't have that exposure to potentially quite a volatile market. But maybe we'll touch back in six months and we'll see how they're looking. So that was a little bit about some of the popular baby formula stocks here uh, out of Australia and New Zealand. But we're going to move on and talk about the latest stock spot report, which looked into some of the best performing and unfortunately some of the worst performing ETFs for 2021 and see if we can pull some interesting ideas out of that one and some of the broader trends in the ETF market moving forward. 
Okay, so Stockspot, they're an online investing platform as well as an advisor service. They released an ETF research report for 2021, which I'm pretty sure is an annual thing because I was pretty sure I talked about this a year ago. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I did. Anyway, so the purpose of this report is to, I guess, highlight the winners and the losers, uh, but I guess look at some of the trends that are happening in Australia in regards to the exchange traded fund space is it you know it just continues to roll on and get more and more popular it's a great option for investors um, outside of direct share ownership so i recommend just jumping on their website now, this isn't a plug because i'm not affiliated with them but jump on you can download the report because it gives you some great insights into trends in the etf space and i'm going to touch on a few of those right now so we'll kick off with the i guess the ones that you probably want to hear about which is the best performing etfs for the last 12 months and that's the 12 months up to March 2021. And in the number one spot here in Australia was ACDC. And I'm not talking about the band. This is an ETF from the company called ETF Securities, ETFS. Uh, that is a battery and technology and lithium themed ETF. And it trades on the ASX under ACDC. That's its ticker code. So it, I guess it, it plays into this broad mega trend that's quite popular of lithium mining stocks and battery technology for renewable energy purposes, which, you know, even outside of this ETF is a popular uh, play uh, from investors. And so that's why people get attracted to things like Tesla, for example. Uh, it was actually the best performing ETF. It had a 96% return for investors over the 12 months to March 2021. Uh, number two was an ETF from K2 Asset Management. It's called the K2 Australian Small Cap Fund. This is a ETF fund that invests in Australian small and mid cap companies. Uh, they note on their website that they take both short and long positions on the companies that they look at. Now it is up, well, it was up 95% for that 12 month period. Unfortunately, as you would with any kind of investment or any, especially an ETF, you've got to look at it uh, beyond just a certain snapshot period. So although it's a quite a good result uh, as a bounce back from those March lows in 2020, it appears their longer term performance when I had a look at it was not as good. So when you start to look at three, five year plus timeframes for this particular ETF, uh, it's it's not like something they're doing regularly. Uh, in fact, it's it kind of seemed to just be treading water across a five year period. So Keep that in mind. Number three was an ETF from a provider, BetaShares. Uh, it's ATEC, or it's basically the BetaShares Australian Technology ETF, and it tracks the performance of the ASX All Technology Index, which is a relatively new index. So similar to how we officially have the ASX 200, this is, I guess, a sub-index where it's called the ASX All Technology Index. And this ETF looks to track that because this index features some of the very popular and talked about stocks um, in, in Australia, in, in our investing space at least, like Afterpay, Zero, uh, Seek, Car Sales, WiseTech, Altium, lots of those kind of ones. It's all our big tech stocks here in Australia and that ETF was up 81.6%. Number four was another ETF from the company ETF Securities, which is the one that does the ACDC one that took out the number one spot. Uh, this is an ETF called FANG. It's, if you've heard the acronym FANG before, it's usually related to a few of the big, it kind of changes sometimes because sometimes it's spelled FANG with two A's and two N's, but 
basically it's F for Facebook, A for, I think it's Amazon and there's another A for Apple, N for Netflix and G for Google. And it came, so that acronym sort of refers to those big US tech stocks. This is an ETF that gives you as an Australian easy access to those stocks without having to, uh, you know, invest in the, on the US platform. So it holds companies like NVIDIA, Facebook, uh, Apple, Tesla, Twitter, you know, just heaps of those well-known US tech names. That ETF was up 73%, which again makes sense because a lot of those companies um, had pretty good years, uh, pretty good 2020s. Uh, Finally, in fifth place, one, I hadn't actually heard of this one before, but in the, I guess in the sustainable ethical investing sphere, this is an e-invest ETF. It's called the Better Future Fund. I had a look at their product details. This specific ETF, it invests in uh, only Australian and New Zealand small and mid-cap companies that I guess that look obviously good from an investment point of view, so capital growth perspective, but they also have to be companies that have positive and you know, sustainable contributions to the environment and just to society in general. So I had a look at then you can see some of the companies they hold. Um, there was Kathmandu, 40 Medical, Cochlear, uh, Australian Ethical Investments, another fund, ResMed. Uh, so something that might interest you, for example, if you like the idea of investing in the sustain- sustainable investing area, and that was up around 70% for the year. Now, if you want to look at the worst, I'll quickly run through these. The actual number one worst one was Bear, which... I think everyone knows it's basically so it's it's issued by beta shares as well. It's the Australian Equities Bear Hedge Fund. So referring there to the whole bull and bear market, bear market being a down market. This ETF, uh, if you invest in it, it doesn't really hold stocks in the same way that some of those other well, those other ones that I talked about there, like for example that um, ethical investment ETF uh, that I mentioned on the end from eInvest. They're actually um, holding uh, positions in certain companies that match that criteria. Uh, this bear ETF, it looks to bet against the market. Uh, so the reason why it had a bad year is because the market across that particular 12-month period uh, was up quite significantly because uh, it was recovering out of uh, the market slump of March 2020. So if you're in uh, an ETF like Bear during a market ter- uh, downturn, your ETF actually goes up in value. It's, it's actually good for you so because you, you're betting against the market. The problem is when the market is going well, those ETFs like Bear do not go very well. Uh, it was down, uh, I think it was a touch over 30% here according to the report. Uh, a couple other ones were currency-based ETFs. So these are ETFs you can get that just invest in a a foreign currency. So a a very popular one is uh, just a US dollar ETF. Uh, That was down as well as the euro. uh, And Stockspot actually noted that um, since the actual lows of March 2020, the Australian dollar from that point actually rose against those global currencies. You would have noticed definitely against the, the US So these ETFs uh, perform worse because of the fact that the Australian dollar was uh, performing better against both the US dollar and the euro. And unfortunately, that's bad if you're investing specifically in those currencies. Um, And the other ones they noticed were there was two ETFs also in the worst performers 
and they were both gold-based ones. So there's uh, ETF securities have a physical gold one. So its its ticker code is actually just gold. And then the Perth Mint have uh, an ETF. So that's PM Gold. They were down around pretty much the same because they both are doing the same thing. They were down around 15%, I guess, indexed to basically the performance of gold, the commodity uh, itself. Now, Stockspot also highlighted the top... Well, sorry, in, sorry, not in based in performance, but just the most popular in terms of fund, funds under management, uh, the most popular broad-based Australian and US ETFs. Uh, the biggest being uh, VAS, which is the Vanguard Australian Shares Index. And for full disclosure, that's the one I own uh, as my exposure to like the broader Australian share market. Uh, that has That had quite significant inflows in 2021, and it's still the most popular uh, broad-based Australian ETF. Uh, the ones behind that, uh, there's a iShares by BlackRock one, which is IOZ, the ticker code, which is the ASX 200. And then there's also a SPDR one, which is also, the, again, the ASX 200 ETF. They're pretty similar. Uh, the other two popular ones are NDQ, which is a beta shares nasdaq 100 etf and for disclosure that's one of my other well that's my only other etf that i hold so that invests in the nasdaq 100 so the top um, 100 shares on the nasdaq mostly those tech stocks that we talked about before and then there's also an, another iShares one and it tracks the s p 500 so you know at the top of my show whenever i talk about how the s p 500 performed over the week that would be an etf that's looking to mirror, mirror the performance of that uh, obviously not just over a week, but but overall time. Probably the other one that I'll touch on is this increase in the popularity of thematic ETFs. So when people think about ETFs, especially some of the ones I just mentioned there, like the broad Australian and US ones, they, they're always those ones are tra- uh, tracking a particular index. So for example, those Australian ones would be tracking either the ASX 300 or the ASX 200. Those US ones are tracking an index like the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ 100. So they're very, when they say they're broad-based, they're not trying to pick a certain theme. Uh, They're just investing in whatever the top 100 or 200, whatever it is, no matter what's in there. Uh, Thematic ETFs are a little bit different because they pick out trends, uh, so, for a good example, is that ACDC one, right? That, that's that's focusing on a on a very specific trend of lithium mining and battery technology and battery creation. Um, I guess all as we sort of move into a a world that's a bit more focused on renewable energy, electric cars, all that kind of thing. And they're very popular because we as people can see certain we we try to like look for those certain themes that might be good investments. Sometimes that's a country, so people think about things like, oh, I want to invest in India because it's a growing, it's like the next China and all that kind of stuff. That's something I've heard many times before. Uh, Others could be, I want to invest in technology. I want to invest in cybersecurity. I want to invest invest in the video game and esports sector because these are all growing industries, and they are. And uh, sometimes they come along with actual ETFs that focus on the theme, and they jumped very significantly these specific types of thematic ETFs uh, over the last year. Uh, Stockspot themselves say that uh, thematic ETFs actually increased uh, by 400%. Uh, that's in there, like the amount of funds under management again uh, that they have. And so you can look at things like 
climate change focused ETFs, technology, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, robotics, renewable energy, gaming, biotech, uh, cloud, like as in cloud computing, there's heaps to pick from. These ones worry me a little bit in that they're not always bad ideas, right? So like the ACDC one was the best one over the year. So it's hard for me to kind of sit here and say that's not a good ETF to invest in. And this is not personal advice, by the way. So um, that doesn't matter. Um, What worries me about thematic ETFs is when I look at them, because I remember I did look at one for myself personally, which was a a robotics and AI focused one. You do notice that their fees are higher. And that's because they're generally, because they're not tracking an index uh, it's it's not as lazy as an index, I guess. They are trading in and out uh, because there's nothing specifically maybe to benchmark them on. So, for example, the robotics and AI is that kind of ETF might be up to the discretion of the fund manager of what companies can constitute that particular theme. And so you notice that their fees will be higher because their uh, trading costs and administration costs are higher. Not that you really see that from an ETF. You're not actually charged fees, but it comes out of the performance of the ETF. Um, but I also think the it's not that... I also worry that people might get trends wrong or that trends that seem like a good idea don't always just translate to good investment ideas. Like, um, this is just an example. I'm not saying this is, this is happening or going to happen, but um, cloud computing and it's just the rise of... Uh, cloud technology is very apparent and very obvious. That doesn't always necessarily translate to investment performance though. Again, that's just an example. I have no idea if that's true. I'm just saying when it comes to these things, it doesn't always necessarily mean that that's going to be a good investment because it has to it has to, at the end of the day, be driven by the companies that are underlying this particular ETF and that are being held by this fund. For me personally, I prefer... I definitely prefer a, a broader-based approach to ETFs. So the kind of ETFs I look at are, are what's called an index fund. So they're tracking an index as opposed to thematic. There are some pretty silly thematic ones I've seen out there. And maybe I'll tell you about them one day. I can't remember some of them off the top of my head. But but I would just um, issue a little bit of a caution to make sure you look into what you're actually investing in and think about the theme and think about the actual companies that that particular uh, fund is investing in based on that theme. Like for example, like we always talk about this with the sustainable ones. Uh, What does that mean? So what are they actually investing in? The same can be applied to these thematic ones. It might have a cool name to it like cloud computing, but what's actually underlying that ETF? And just uh, also take note of the higher management fees that some of these have. They almost always have higher management fees to a standard index fund. And a standard index fund like uh, like something like the NASDAQ um, or S&P 500 can still get you access to some of these big uh, overseas companies, for example, and, and, and big tech companies, but without uh, the increased uh, management fee that might come along. So think about whether there might be a suitable alternative uh, that does something similar to what you're chasing. But that was uh, a little bit or some extractions out of that stock spot report. I hope you found that interesting. I found it quite interesting when I was going through. I didn't actually know that the ACDC ETF had actually done so well in Australia last year. So that was a little bit of a surprise to me. But given its play into that space, which has um, 
those some of those individual stocks that I've actually seen on the ASX, like the ones in lithium mining and battery, um, have done quite well. Uh, especially the one, especially ones over in the US, uh, they have done quite well over the last twelve months. So that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, that is a wrap on today's episode. So I hope you did enjoy uh, episode fifty-seven. Remember, if you are enjoying the podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you prefer. Be that Apple podcast be that spotify be that one of the smaller players leave a review leave a like if you can it always helps uh the the way the podcast shows up on the charts and all those kind of things if you do have questions for the show you can shoot them through to marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com but that has been it for episode 57 thank you so much for tuning in as always have a great week ahead of you my name is dion cheers